right, so let's go ahead and, uh, uh, hey guys, what's up? Sorry there's no high school, so this will not be better than Luke Fleshman, but, you know, it's only once. There's a passage in Proverbs, or Matthew 24, 13 that says, endure to the end and be saved, so we'll just, these youngins will have to uh, deal with that. Of course, Jackson has been under my teaching before, so he knows what it's all about, but, uh, Bianca, you were, did I have you in Warriors? I don't recollect. I must have. You're only 13, aren't you? 14? You know what? I think I missed that little window because I didn't have Elizabeth either. So I skipped a little window uh, and then I got back in. So that has nothing to do with where we're at. But if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 3. Oh, the handouts, you guys, if you want one, they're on the connections counter. You've got some, I see. And uh, if you want to get a handout and follow along, I have follow. I have filled in the blanks for you on what we covered last week. So these are uh, these are updated outlines. And uh, if you're online, you can go to last week's um, uh, session and you can find that there. So you can find the handout there. And I know some people have already started on the outline. So just real quick, uh, as we're as we're getting oriented. Uh, last time we got together, we were talking about just, uh, I'm not going to go through it as slow as last time. Uh, we're in Ephesians. We're talking about revealing our true identity. We saw the purpose of this is to reveal Christ's efficiency, uh, the church's unity, the Christian's duty through the study of Paul's prison epistles to the Ephesians. The theme is to uh, build uh, the body of Christ in the image and likeness of Christ. And then uh, we've been talking about revealing our true identity. That's the title that I've titled the whole series in the book. So three main things that we see is uh, the deity of Christ in the first two chapters, the unity of the church and the church is in chapters 3 and 4, and then uh, the duty of the Christian, which is really practical when we get to chapters 5 and 6. And so, um, on your outline, I filled in a lot of stuff, so I'm going to kind of jump ahead because you can go back and look on the video and get caught up for, to where we were uh, last week. So last week we got together and we, we reviewed the first 12 verses uh, in, in, uh, in regard to Revelation uh, to the body of Christ, and we saw how, um, you know, we have an alternate identity, how Paul talked about both being, a, in chapter 3, he introduces himself as a prisoner, and then uh, when he introduced himself in the book, he was the apostle. So all of us have different uh, type of identities, actually. So uh, you, might be, um, you might be the star basketball player, but then at home, you're a son, right? So that's how that works. So we all have different identities. And Paul's like, hey, I'm the Apostle Paul when he opens his letter. And then he's like, well, I'm the prisoner. And so, uh, and, and so he talked about that. We talked about dispensational uh, theology, delegating authority. We talked about the revelation of the gift of the grace of God given to Paul, the revelation of the purpose revealed through the body of Christ. And that brought us up to our new teaching last week, which was dealing with intercession. So uh, we spent some time talking about prayer. And I'm going to pick that up uh, this, this evening. So let me... Uh, yeah, let me fast forward ahead now. So we were in, in chapter 3, starting in verses 13 through 21. And uh, that wasn't next week, that was last week. So, hey, welcome. So are you, are you the one I spoke to on the phone earlier? Thanks for coming. You're not late at all. I just, I'm sorry I didn't get to greet you out front. So come on in and make yourself at home. We're easy to get along with. So uh, glad you're here tonight. Um, and so, so we're in chapter 3 of Ephesians, and we looked at chapters 3, verses 13 through 21, 
and got a head start on that and started talking about the access uh, to intercession. And uh, that's, again, that's probably filled out on your blank already. And we talked about our relationship in Christ Jesus, our Lord, how it gives us boldness. And then uh, we talked about how our relationship with Christ Jesus, our Lord, gives us access. And then we talked about how our relationship gives us uh, confidence, right? So we have boldness, access, and confidence. Uh, Not in ourselves, but, of course, in the Lord. And so that confidence gives us strength. Um, and, and, and so we don't have to faint, and that's so important. And so our relationship uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ gives us strength so we don't have to faint. And then I, I talked to you about the theologian, uh, and he's a little old for some of you in here, but his name's M.C. Hammer, and uh, he, was, he, was, uh, he taught us to pray. We've got to pray just to make it today. And, uh, and so... Yeah, not very many of you got that because I'm getting old and outdated. But anyway, so Paul wanted the he wanted the saints in Ephesus to see his sufferings for their sakes and to be strengthened in faith, not fear. All right, so that pretty much pulls me in. Oh, there's MC Hammer. Uh, no one's going to do any break dancing. So today on the internet, somebody put a picture of me up and another friend of mine from like junior high, and uh, and uh, I guess. I didn't know what the picture was. He said, we didn't break dancing that day. And uh, I don't even remember doing that in, in math class, I guess. So anyhow, uh, I'm like, wow, blast from the past. That was crazy. All right, so tonight we're going to talk about uh, intercession, uh, insights to intercession. So that should be where we pick it up. And I'm just going to pick up the text. Let's go back and, and uh, read in Ephesians chapter 3. And I'm going to start in verse 12. But we're gonna, I'm going to endeavor tonight to finish up this section of Ephesians. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Ephesians 3. Let's pick it up in 12. And uh, Paul here says, in, in, well, let's back it up because that isn't, that isn't going to be a good start. Um, he says, uh, let's start in verse uh, 8. Unto me, whom less than the least of the saints, is the grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence uh, by faith of him. So we talked about all of that last week. Uh, wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulation for you, which is for your glory. So he's like, don't get freaked out that I'm suffering so much, because it's all good. Relax. It's all for you. Now, verse 14. For this cause, he's going to get to doing some praying here. I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, and know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God, known to him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. All right, so Paul lays it down here. He says, I'm going to do some praying. And then he lays out what he's going to be praying. 
And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. These are insights to intercession. Insights to intercession. Intercession is a big word for praying, right? When we pray, we talk to God. And when God talks to us, how's God talk to us? Through his word, right? All right, through his word. So a lot of people say, well, God talks to me through this, that. Hey, you never know what, you don't know what's going on. If you're not getting it from the word, don't trust your, don't trust your own judgment. Trust what the word of God says. Because uh, the devil will talk to you too. He likes to be an angel of light, right? So you can't just trust how you feel about what you think God's saying. Know what God's saying. That's why God's given us the Bible. He has preserved his word so we can have it. All right, so, uh, so he's going to talk to us about insights to intercession. So point one there on your outline, Paul's insights on the heart of intercession. So I'm just going to bust down through several points here regarding intercession and praying. Because praying is a big deal. We need to be in prayer. Uh, and so while he's in prison, he's doing some praying. Right now there's a lot of discussion about kneeling, right? So Paul's like, hey, I'm down with kneeling. I'm down with kneeling. I'm bowing my knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who he's kneeling for. Uh, Paul's insight on the heart is very clear in verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees, not just his knee, by the way, his knees, unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So specifically, it's to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, now notice what he says, for this cause. Uh, so there is a cause. And you remember what you remember what David said back in the, in the Old Testament? What did he say? Yeah, is there not a cause? Thanks, Ron. You stole my thunder. No, I'm just kidding. So, no, you're fine. So, right. So, David, that's what David said to Goliath. I mean, not to Goliath. That's what he said to his brother, Eliab, who was accusing him of being a little upstart and being, you know, a mouthy little kid. And he's like, wait a minute. Is there not a cause? I mean, isn't there a reason that we need to go out here and destroy this giant? I mean, come on. And so, and so Paul says, you know what? I got a cause. For this cause, I bow my knees. Because of everything that we've seen, uh, the, the fact that he's gotten in on this grace, that God has changed his high identity, God has called him to suffering, God has called him to uh, be a minister, just like he's called all of us. He says, for this cause, I'm, I'm going to bow my knees, and uh, because I've gotten this mystery, because I've gotten this uh, dispensation of grace has been committed unto me, I'm going into prayer. I'm going to prayer mode. So there's a cause. And you got to go back to the opening verse of Ephesians 3.1 to see it. It says, and and uh, it says, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Right? He's got a cause. For this cause, uh, well, what cause? That still doesn't tell us everything. Go back to verse, uh, chapter 2. Now, therefore, verse 19, I'm sorry, chapter 2. Ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the, the, all the, the building fitly framed together groweth into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. For this cause, because of this building project, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, in verse 1 of chapter 3. So Paul says, you know what? God's doing some crazy stuff. And he's taking Gentiles and he is bringing them into the kingdom and, uh, and, he, I'm making, and he's making them a holy temple. Uh, and, and for this cause, I'm a prisoner. And I'm doing whatever it takes to see his building project done. And it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm excited about it. So you shouldn't be worried. You should be glad I'm suffering because I'm suffering for your sake and I'm happy to do it. That's really what Paul's saying. But I'm also not just suffering, right? Now I'm going to bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ so I can do some praying 
And so he gets to the cause. Now, practical application is really when we talk about the heart, we're asking, why do we pray? And why do we pray? There's nothing wrong with asking for things, right, that we need. The Bible tells us if you, you have not because you ask not. But um, we should ask. even tells us to come boldly before the throne of grace in, in Hebrews 4. Right? So, so we, we're encouraged to do that. So I don't want to minimize that. However, that's really not what Paul's asking for here. He's not like, hey, God, I need a new car. No, that's not what he's saying. I bow my knees before the Father because I went out of jail. He's not even saying that. He's, he's bowing his knees before the Father because, well, he's praying for the body of Christ. I, Lord, I, I want to see your building project completed. I was just actually I was sitting back. Me and Ray were just rapping before service tonight, and I was just thinking about that. I'm like, man, this church, you know what we need? We need some more disciples. I'm like, Lord, we need more, we need more disciples, and we need younger disciples. And now I'm talking to younger people. I hope you, you youngins in here will be the disciples. Yeah, I'm talking to you. So, uh, so because uh, you know what? It's so important that we have disciples because the church don't grow if we don't have folk, and the folk that we need are not just folk. We need folks that are disciples, people who follow Jesus. And so, so that's, that's how that works, and we need more. Because I've got leaders. You know why? You know why? You know why we don't have high school class tonight? Because we don't have disciples to fill in behind Luke. Oh, we say, well, we got some. We do have some, but they're up in the AV booth, and Ray don't have enough disciples to spring him. And I don't have enough disciples to spring me tonight because Jason would be filling for me, but he's over here. You see what I'm saying? So we need more disciples that can take in the gap so that we can move around as we need, so we don't have lapses. You know, so that's what I told Luke tonight. I said, man, oh, Lincoln was puking. It was dead. It was bad. They don't need to be here tonight. I shouldn't have said that. That's private information. The HIPAA police are going to come and I'm going to be imprisoned <laughs> and bound my knees soon. But anyway, so the, the point is simply this. Things happen, right? And you need, you need disciples. So Paul's like, man, we're in this building process. God's taking us somewhere. We need disciples. You know, we need disciples so we can put Bibles together. We need disciples all over the place. Because uh, because God wants to get stuff done. So, you know, would you say that 10% of your time is given to interceding on, on, on the behalf of others when you are in, pray, in prayer? Now, just think about intercessory prayer in your own life. How much time of your intercessory prayer, which is basically praying for other people other than yourself, let's say. Well, intercessory prayer is praying, okay? But when you're praying for other people. How much time of your overall prayer life is for other people? That's a good question. Just start there. How often do we bow our knees before the Lord and pray for someone other than me? That's a, that's a good place to think about. You know, Paul was in a place here where that's what he's talking about. He's not saying, I bow, I bow my knees for me. <laughs> you know, he bows his knees because he's praying for other folk. So I got to, this isn't just to you, this is to me. I thought about that as a pastor. It's, that's part of what I do is pray for y'all. And, uh, and, and not because I'm a priest, like, well, we're all priests and kings. So if you're born again, you're a priest and a king. So you, you can, everyone can intercede. We're all in the business of being uh, intercessory prayers. So we should all be praying. And we should all be praying a lot, frankly. Even more as you see the Lord approaching. We should be gathering more and we should be praying more. Because the Lord's coming quick. We need to be ready. So we ought to bow our knees. So how much of it? Is it 
Would you say one out of every ten of your requests being made unto God is for someone or something other than yourself? Or maybe it's 25%, maybe it's 50%. It doesn't matter to me. I, I'm not God. I'm not even telling you there's a, a, a necessarily a quota, right? I'm not, I'm not legalizing this thing. It doesn't matter. I'm just saying that's something to think about, though. Is it in our heart to intercede for others? But one of the ways you can tell if it isn't is if you're not doing it. <laughs> so something's wrong in our heart if we're not praying for other folks. We have this prayer list. Now, our church is pretty disciplined about, at least I say our church, some in our church are pretty disciplined about, about we, you know, we take Sunday nights and we break this list down and we pray over it, specifically, not just like generally. We like literally say, here's, depends on how many people show up. Uh, you know, if we got six or seven people at the prayer meeting, then we all carry four or five little prayer pieces and we pray specifically intercessory prayer for other people because well that's what we should be doing and so and that's not enough i mean there's always other things to be praying for so in, even if you tied your prayers uh to others it would be a great advantage just over self-centered prayers that are out of seeing you know what i mean just about it's all about me jesus and uh you know that song there's that song they made the heart of worship it's all about you, Jesus. But I really think we could change the lyrics and say, it's all about me. Well, we'll never know. But you'll know if you look at your prayer life. So Paul says, you know, there's a cause, and I'm going to pray about it. And it's not about me. It's about y'all. I'm going to pray because the body needs to go and grow. Okay. Any questions about that? We're going to move on. All right. So Paul's insights on how to intercede is also important in this, in this verse. He says, he says there, uh, you know, for this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Obviously, when you think about bowing your knees, that's, that's, a, that's a place of contrition and humility, right? He doesn't just bow a knee. He's like down here on his knees. And he may even bend over. You may even look like a Muslim. You know, if you get on Facebook and you look at uh, Krista Das or Pastor Pradeep, you know what they got in, in, uh, in Arissa? Well, not Arissa. This is Andhra Pradesh where Krista Das lives. You see all these uh, Indian men with with uh, uh, rugs on the floor, and they're kneeling and praying. I was just looking at a picture the other day he sent me. And uh, they're not doing that for show. That's just what they do. That's how they roll. It's their culture, yes. It looks like you're looking. You didn't know that. If you didn't know what you were looking at, you think you were looking at Islam. And I, like, and I saw that picture, and I, it, just, it hit me in the heart. I thought, you know, don't get me wrong. God is not as concerned about the position of your knees as he is your heart. But there is a point here. Paul's saying, I'm bowing my knees. I am literally bowing before the Father. He's making a point. I'm, I'm bowing before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am humbling myself under the hand of God. I am praying on my knees. Certainly, I was just talking to someone. I don't remember who it was. The other day. They were telling me that they, I got down on my knees and prayed. I don't always pray on my knees. As a matter of fact, I don't pray on my knees probably enough. But it's good every so often just to kneel down, literally. Literally, and pray, God, I am before you on my knees. You don't have to do it. You can pray standing up. You can pray walking. You can pray talking. You can do a lot of praying, so don't get me wrong. Pray without ceasing, so don't forsake that either. And I know we don't want to get legalistic. I don't want to get legalistic either. But I do think there's some wisdom every so often just to bow your knee, knees, Maybe even lay out flat on the floor in complete contrition to God. 
And you don't even have to do it because the sky's falling. You could do it in praise and adoration, just thanking him. I'm just saying, Paul says, this is how it's done. If you're going to intercede, you need you to bow your knees. There ought to be some humility. Um, and there's a lot to talk about on bending knees, right, today. And today it's an act of dishonor. But really, this is an act of honor. So, so what, what our nation needs today is Christians bowing their knees to the Lord Jesus in a spirit of humility. What I need is to do more of that myself. So that's how we, we start our relationship with Christ, isn't it? I'm so glad. Now, don't again, I don't want to get legalistic here. Your, your salvation is not based on your bodily, physical position. So let me just say that right on the, right on the outset. You get saved standing up, upside down. I don't care, laying down. This is the reality that when I got saved, my, the man who led me to Christ took a Bible. He said, Brian, let's, uh, let's just bow right here. And we knelt down. And I grabbed the Bible, and he grabbed the Bible, and I prayed over that Bible. I don't remember exactly what I even said other than whatever. I was, I just, I just, I don't know, but I got saved. I was rocked. I was, I got up different. I was a changed human when I got up, and uh, I was different. I asked Jesus to come into my heart and save me. And uh, I'm glad I bowed my knee, because that's how you start your relationship with God, is bowing in humility and contrition. If you didn't physically bow... Right, you can physically bow and not mean it in your heart, and it doesn't count either. But you know, our heart has to be contrite; it has to be broken. It needs to be, it needs to be crushed before God. You know, and uh, and so, man, Paul's like, I'm bending my knee. That's how I'm doing it because he's humble before God. He's he's contrite. He is he is broken. And we start our relationship with Christ that way on our knees. And we start that way with Christ, and that's how our relationship with the Father should continue until we see him face to face. And then what are we going to do, right? We're going to take whatever grace has been bestowed upon us, whatever crowns of rejoicing that he's given us, and we're going to bow before him and cast our crowns at him. I mean, we're going to say all glory and honor to you. Thank you, Lord. So it's going to be awesome. So Philippians 2, I think I put that up on the screen, or I'm going to right now. You can look that up if you want. It says... That at the name of every, uh, that at, at the name of Jesus, some of the knees should bow. No, it says every knee should bow, of the things in heaven and the things in earth and the things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And by the way, there's a parallel passage to that, over in the book of Romans, Philippians chapter two. Uh, where is that? Romans fourteen eleven. And you know what it says there? Anybody know? It does. It says, thank you, Ron. Yeah. That's right. I remember years ago I was studying that out, and I thought, oh, one of them says should, and one of them says shall. You know, that's the, that is time. You have opportunity and time to make a decision to bow. And if you don't make it, in time, you're going to make it in eternity because every knee will bow. It's just a matter of when. That's why today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to bow our knee to the Lord Jesus and receive his grace and mercy. And if you don't, well, you, you know, stiff neck, hard-hearted, someday you're still going to bow. Every knee shall bow. But right now, every knee should bow. He's given every man an opportunity. I love the nuances of the Word of God, by the way. That's why... That's why we use an authorized version at HBF because there's, it's so precise. God's so precise. Just the little words like that are amazing. 
All right, so Paul's insight, also as he's given us insights on prayer, he gives us insight not only to, to the heart and the how of intercessory prayer, but also in the who, all right? So we bow our knees uh, uh, to, in, in intercession to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have access to the Father through the Son. Now we know that these three are one, First John chapter 5, verse 7, but there is something, when you're praying to the Father, you're praying through the Son. You say, but I thought it was the Spirit in me. Yes, because the Spirit is, these three are one. So that's how it's happening. And so we have an advocate and a propitiation so we can come boldly and humbly before the throne of God. Isn't that a blessing? So you don't really, you, you know, I've, I've known, I, I knew a guy one time, I won't say his name, but uh, it was when we first planted the church. He, he came around and and he, he took a lot of my time to tell me that he knew more about the, his relationship with God than anybody else, I guess. And so he was really big on this. You've got to say in Jesus' name, you have to pray through the Son. We just don't really get that. I'm kind of like, I get it. You know, Abba, Father, we cry out to the Father. I mean, it does, it's not that, this isn't a monastery, man. You just go to Jesus. You go to the Father through the Son. That's how it works, Father. You know, the pattern Jesus himself sent, thou, my father, or thou father which art in heaven, right? So we understand that we talk to the father. He is the authority. And Jesus Christ is the advocate. He's the propitiation for our sin. The Holy Ghost is our teacher. All three are one. And if you don't quite understand all that, guess what? God's going to give you grace. Bow your knee to him. He's God. And so, uh, and so I just found it really interesting and odd, you know, that uh, that this guy was so fixated on this this now don't get me wrong Paul's being very specific so we understand how to intercede we're talking to the Father we're going to the throne room we're talking to the authority the Father of all and so you do that humbly you bow your knee praise God he's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ he's not a Father he's the Father you know so that's being he's being very specific um, and so and so that's important. Um, any questions on that? Let me just. Let's, I think I take. I think it that simple, but I, it's good to m- just make sure. Okay, so let's move on to the next point for time's sake here. So Paul's insight also has insights on why we bow uh, our knees to the Father in intercession in verses fifteen through sixteen. So we move along in the text a little bit, and he says, uh, he says here, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Right, we all have one Father that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. He says, I'm coming to the Father so that you can be strengthened in the inner man. So Paul, he has some insights here. Number one, he is Lord of all. He's Lord of all, which I think I had a... Yeah, he's Lord of all. He's Lord of all. So we gather together. Notice he says there that he might gather together in one all things in Christ. And I like, again, I like that word might, because not everyone's going to be gathered together in one, are they? Some people will be cast into the lake of fire. But he wants everyone to be gathered together in one in Christ. There's these little nuances that you find in the Bible. It's, it's awesome. And so in Ephesians one twenty one, the Bible tells us, in this same book, in the first chapter, verse 21, um, I don't think I put that on the, the screen. Oh, I did. Um, 
he says uh, Ephesians. Uh, oh, let me look. I I don't have chapter one and verse ten. So let me read that off the screen. Oh, I do. That in the dispensation. Remember, we talked about dispens. If you've been with us in the study, we talked about dispensations, and and the dispensation of grace, even in chapter three. So in in Ephesians one ten, he says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together, in one all things. Uh, in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So there's coming a day when he's going to gather together all things in heaven and earth in him. That's on the agenda. Ephesians 1.21, uh, further down in the first chapter, he says that he's far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but, but also in that which is to come. Now, principality, remember, Paul makes a point uh, or in this same chapter about principality that, that um, I'm trying to remember where it was. I'm in Ephesians 5. No wonder I can't see it. Um, he said that uh, in verse 10 of chapter 3, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The church has been entrusted with some things that even the powers, the principalities and powers of this world don't understand or know. I have no idea if Donald Trump really understands how important it was to put the capital of Jerusalem in Jerusalem, the capital of Israel in Jerusalem. I have no idea what he really understands about that. We understand a lot more about it than he does, or even the Stratford guys or the CIA, because we understand what God's going to do there. And you say, well, they can read the Bible too. Right? They can read it, but we believe it. And there's, two diff- there's a big difference. We, know what's, we really know what God's going to do there. So he's far above all principality and all power. And you know what? You do have an advantage being a born-again Bible-believing Christian. You know the major authority, not only on the earth, but in heaven. Not only do you know him, he's your father. And you can enter in to his we talked about this last week. You can come into the throne room. I mean, that's that's crazy. I mean, you can't do that with a king. You go back and read Esther. Esther is married to the king, and she's like got to go through all kinds of hoops just to get an audience with her own husband so he doesn't kill her because of, you know, that's crazy. I mean, it seems crazy in our standards for sure. And, of course, he's gracious and kind and, and accommodates her. But the point is simply this. I mean, when you enter, come before a king, you don't just roll up in there I remember when I first started, I was so naive when I first started my job, my first, uh, when I started at Fagan, uh, the president was so kind to me. He brought me in and we talked and he hired me and, and it kind of was like my mentor and I felt like I could just go down the hall anytime I wanted and go in his office and talk to him. And I did quite frequently, but then one day I walked up and he was in the middle of something and I walked in and I said, hey kid, and he gave me this scowl because he was in the middle of something. And I just realized I overstepped my boundary. <laughs> that you don't just walk into the president's office anytime you feel like it. You know, I was 21 years old. I just really hadn't understood all that yet. And so I took his meekness as weakness, right? And so I realized, oh, I think I just overstepped my bounds. So after that, I was a lot more prudent. And you know what? The same way. You know what? God is our father, but we still need to enter with honor and reverence. There, hey, you got all the access you want. But understand, he is the king of the universe. He has listened to every detail, for sure. He loves you like a daddy, Abba Father. But you know what? Paul's saying, you know what? I'm interceding here, and there's some big things going on. 
And, I, and, uh, and, and I'm going to be praying for this church to go because this church in Ephesus, this church, the church in the Gentiles, is going to have a major impact on the world until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. This church business is a big deal. It's a real big deal. And today, it's just a big, as big, a, big a deal today as it was then. Unfortunately, I think many of us, we just haven't really fully grasped the, the gravity of what it means to be salt and light and the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth in the culture. We're the pillar and ground. Of, the reason that people are out burning buildings down and all upset and fired up is because we haven't been preaching enough. We haven't been making, getting people saved enough. I mean, we have not done our job. We're building big buildings and we're entertaining people and we're helping their felt needs in a consumer culture, but we're not making disciples. That's the bottom line. So... Praise the Lord. Let's do that. Not, I'm not saying that we're not, but we're trying. But, I mean, let, hey, let judgment begin at the house of God. So I'm getting off on the rabbit trail here, but let me get focused. So Philippians chapter 2, we already been there. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. There's no higher power that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. We already saw that. Of the things in heaven, the things in earth, things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that brings glory to God the Father. Uh, and so Revelation 5 and verse 13, And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. So there's coming a day where honor and glory, blessing and power is going to be bestowed upon uh, the Lamb that's on the throne forever and ever. He is above all. He is over all. He is, he is the Lord of all. And so, uh, you know, Paul's just, he's just laying it down there saying, hey, the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Um, there's not a name. You don't get into heaven unless you go through Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, just like he said. All right, so let's go on. I think most of us get that. So uh, so the Lord, he's the Lord of all, but he's also the, this is why we bow our knees in intercession, because he's Lord of all, and he's also our strength. He's our strength. In verse 16, he says, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Now, is he talking about someday future? No, he's talking about as he's writing. I'm praying right now. I'm bending my knees before the God of the universe who is above all power so that y'all will be strengthened with might in the inner man right now. You need strength today. This church needs strength this week. We're getting ready to do 25,000 Bibles. We need strength right now. So we should be praying. I need to be praying. I should stop talking. Let's just get on our knees and start praying. God, give us strength to get through what we need to get through for your honor and glory, because we want to see the church build in Malawi. And we're going to deliver a sure word to them, uh, at least uh, definitely a reliable word in their language by God's grace. All right, so the Lord is our strength, and, uh, and we need to be strengthened with might. Notice it says, by his spirit, the Holy Spirit, in the inner man. So Paul's insights also gives us insights into what uh, we should intercede for others about. So what should we be interceding for others about? I'm glad you asked. So um, uh, we need to pray for the heart. Look down here in verse 17. He says, 
he says, uh, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, and know the love of, God, of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. He's like, I want you to get as much of God as, as you can. Now, we teach in our Discipleship 1. What does Discipleship 1 say about getting all of God? Anybody remember? The fourth lesson, the Holy Spirit. Ron, do you know this one? I'm glad you didn't answer right off the top. Anyone want to take a stab at it? So the question isn't, do you have all of God, right? Why is that, Ron? Right, when the day you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit of God. You get all the Holy Spirit you could want the day you get saved. So the question isn't really, do you have all the fullness of God's power? Yes, you do. It's in your heart. The issue is, is are we yielded? Are we yielded to God? Does he have all of us, right? Are we committing our heart to him? Not for salvation. I'm not talking about just, I mean, praise God. If you've never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, that's where you start. You bow your knee and you trust him as Lord and Savior. But after that, it's a perpetual process of saying, Lord, I know you got all of me, but man, uh, let me have all of you. You know what I'm saying? Take my heart, Lord, and seal it in thy courts above. Because I'm prone to wonder, Lord. I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Lord, I want you to have my whole heart. That's kind of that's a good way of saying it, right? The whole heart. And I struggle with this. I'm your pastor, so you guys, I'm sure you struggle with it too. Isn't there times when you serve God half-heartedly? Or quarter-heartedly even? Maybe an eighth-heartedly? God forbid. You know? Um, or maybe you're just like a robot and you're going through the motions. Your heart's not even in it. There's some value in doing what's right even when you don't feel right. That's, there's some value in that. But at the end of the day, you really want to serve God with your whole heart. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. I mean, God, I need, to, I need you. I already got you in my heart, but Lord, I don't want to let anything rob me of my relationship, my fellowship. And that's really what we're driving at is the fellowship with Christ. Because sin does rob us of fellowship with Christ, our own will. When we choose sin over Christ, it grieves the spirit, it quenches the spirit. And so <clears throat> if you're born again, you, we all wrestle with that on a daily basis. And so that's why we read the word daily and we confess our sin daily. And we do do a lot of praying for ourselves like, oh, God, forgive me. I'm a loser. And then he says, well, you're my son, so get up and get going. Right. So uh, and so you got to, you know, there's a reality here where Paul is saying, look, uh, I'm praying for you guys that you'd be strengthened. And I mean, strengthened right now. I need you guys need to do what you're supposed to be doing now. Think about that, church, because today is the day. The Lord's coming soon. Uh, there ain't any, I don't, we don't know if we got tomorrow. So the day to be strong is today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about getting strong today. Because today's the day. The day's the day to serve the Lord. And tomorrow when you wake up, if you're still breathing, is there? Tomorrow's the day to serve the Lord. Right? I mean, it's not, well, someday. Someday? What are you talking about someday? Paul's saying, I'm praying right now. I'm bending my knees right now. I'm writing an epistle right now. Don't worry about me being in jail. I'm worried about you being strengthened with all might in the inner man i'm fine <laughs> i got jesus we're rocking it in the jail people are getting saved what about you man are you strong enough to do what god's called you to do i'm praying for you 
Because God's building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Okay, so Paul has insights into to what we should intercede for others about. And he's really pretty clear here. So pray for the heart that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. All right, so faith is a big part of that. Without the word of God, you don't have faith because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We're talking about that on Sunday morning. That ye being rooted and grounded in love. So that this implies we're furnishing the spirit with the word of God. Because the power, right, when Jesus says, all power is given to me in heaven and earth, Matthew uh, 28, uh, 16, I believe it is. All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And then he says, wait, don't go until I, Acts 1, 8, until I, I give you the Holy Spirit. What did I say, 1, 8? 28, 18, right, 16 is too early. Uh, so 28, 18, so all... He says, uh, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations. And so then he tells them in Acts, he's like, wait, don't go until you get the Spirit. So tarry here, right? So they wait until Pentecost, the 50th day after the uh, Passover. And then they got the power, the Spirit of God. So if you're saved, you have the power. But he says, I want you, I want you to be, I want you to, I want Christ to dwell in your hearts by faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. So really, what does he need? He wants, us to, to, he wants us to furnish the Spirit with what he would like to have, which is the Word of God. If you're hanging out in someone's house, someone's tent, someone's tabernacle, it'd be nice if they offered you something to drink. And God's living in you of a truth. He sealed your soul to the day of redemption. So offer him some water, the water of the Word, furnishing. Give him what he needs so that he can be effectually working in your life in my life, in our lives. So Paul's praying that. He's like, hey, guys, I'm praying that you are, you are in your hearts, you are providing what's necessary for the Spirit of God to, to have power in your life. And so he goes on to say that he wants you to be rooted and grounded in love, not just knowledge. I want you to go beyond knowing what to do to, to doing what you need to do because charity builds up, right? Knowledge puffs up. So while you're studying your Bible... Don't just, don't just know about what it says. Be doers of the word, right? Not just hearers only, because you will deceive your own self. Oh, God, give the church the grace to do what they're supposed to do, not just know what to do. And we live in the, in the information age. You can, there's, you, can find, you can dial up your phone. It may not be true, but Siri, whatever. How do I cook beans? You know, they'll give you the recipe. Knowledge abounds. But you know what? God's like, hey, I need you to do I need you to do what I say, not just know what I say. And boy, isn't that the difference? To whom much is given, much is required. The church at Ephesus was filled with, well, they were pretty strong. They were a strong church. They ended up being a very strong church. They used to try those who said they were apostles and were not, and they judged them faithfully and booed them out of the church. But then in Revelation, he says, you need to go back to your first works. You need to go back to that love. Paul was already praying that. Man, don't lose your love for God. Don't lose your love for God. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 3, 17 through 19, he's laying it out. And then when you think about that, there's a passage in 2 Timothy chapter... Uh, um, okay, I need to back up. There's a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 17. It says that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. If you're going to be a man or woman of God... Now, perfect isn't like sinlessly perfect. You know, it's, it's, it means complete, perfect, 
It's complete. So God wants us to be complete. He's talking about the pastor there. The man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. 1 Corinthians 8, 3, But if any man love God, the same is known of him. When we love God, people are going to know it. And so it's just going to be obvious. What's in it, what you put in is going to come out. And it really deals with the heart. So are there any questions on that? So I was addressing this, the heart, verse 17. Or comments? How's our heart, right? That's what David spent so much time on, right, in, in, in Psalm 119. It's all about the heart, the heart, the heart, the heart. He adored God's word. He adored God's precepts. He adored what God said in his heart. And it was manifest that he loved God. He didn't have to be old. He was a young man when he slew Goliath. Why was he able to slay Goliath? Because he, slid, he slew a lion and a bear. Why he, as a young man, why did he slay a lion and a bear? Because he believed God's word. He really, really was, he was, for, he was full of faith. His heart was about the things of God, and it troubled him, man, that, that if his God didn't come through for him. So if he's responsible for some sheep, God's going to take care of that lion. You know, I'm responsible for this, this sheep, God's going to take care of that bear. I bet nobody knew about it. Jesse probably didn't give him time of day. His brothers probably thought he was lying. But when he showed up to fight Goliath, there wasn't nobody joking then when he went out and did the job, was it? He didn't just talk about loving God. He did it. When he saw that the enemy was on his territory, and he's like, what in the world? What in the what? What are we doing here? The enemy has just stepped on my front lawn. Why are we sitting around talking about this? He's just a giant, man. God can take care of a lion. He can take care of a bear. And he can take care of a six-fingered, six-toed Philistine. Let's get on on. Because he loved God. He loved God's precepts. He knew this was the land of Judah. This is the line of the tribe of Judah land, man. Get off of here. You don't belong on our property. Get on out of here. Nobody else believed God. They didn't have a heart for God's word. They were scared. They were locked down in fear. So anyway, it's the heart, man. You got to have a heart. And a lot of people don't. Let's just be honest. And, and, you know, we just don't love God like we need to. That's the biggest problem. What's wrong with America? It isn't the politics. What's that? What, what is it, Ron? Because that's... Oh, yeah. Yeah, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? We do often deceive ourselves. Paul was... That's why he was bending his knees so nobody would deceive themselves. Okay, so we also got to pray for the mind. Now, this is pretty wild to think about. In verse 18, he says... Uh, May, that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, and know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say something here, because this is, this is something he wants our mind to comprehend. He wants us to comprehend some things here about the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. And so this passage has been the subject of a lot of conjecture over the years and so I'm gonna I don't have my marker board out here I should have brought that out but uh, I've been to Bible studies and people try to you know figure out the four dimensions the problem with trying to figure out four dimensions in a three-dimensional world is we don't have four dimensions here we only have three to work with right so we primarily work in uh, length width and height right those are the three dimensions we can get our minds and heads and what have you around uh, and so this this uh, is interesting because the first reference in is is in reference to the body of Christ and our unity uh, with Him, and it's undeniable that the words 
of unit are units of measurement. I mean, Paul is he's literally saying there's some dimensional things here that you I'm praying for you, Ephesians. I'm praying for you at Heartland that you get the dimensional understanding of the things that I'm laying out, that you can understand uh, and love and understand the the comprehend with all saints. Notice the word all saints. What is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height? Well, then you go, well, is it depth or height that that you may know the love of Christ, which, pass, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all full, the fullness of God. Okay, so God's body has four dimensions. Breadth, length, depth, and height. And uh, I submit that he fashions his body in a pyramid shape. Now, I'm going to show you some pictures here. Does anybody know what this picture is? It is a map. Good. Anybody got a guess on the dimensions? What's that? Yeah, just the the footprint there. That is New Jerusalem. So, okay. Are you getting in on this Bible study, brother? <laughs> okay. So, so we got the the I got people looking in the window here. So, uh so yeah, so that's New Jerusalem. That's the footprint. Now, that is the Middle East, so it's centered over Jerusalem. Uh, actually, it looks like it's centered over Sinai, but you get the picture. It's close. It's kind of a grainy image. I've done this before, like myself, so that is very accurate. I've done it myself, measured it out on a map and laid it out, and it covers the Middle East. I mean, it is, it's big. That's a city, a city. All right, and so uh, now if you look at it, in four dimensions, four square, the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 16, it says, and, and, this, and the city, speaking of New Jerusalem, lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth, and he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs, the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. So you have, if you see that one on the top, that, that uh, you look at the one with the, uh, the, the little paper, that's also discussed to scale or close to scale this one here so that's new jerusalem sitting look how big that is isn't that crazy that's cray cray i mean that's massive that's by the way that's that's where we're going to go that's that's where the saints go right the meek inherit the earth israel inherits the earth we get we get christ and new jerusalem praise god all right so now, if you were to measure that out, and this is really, this is really what I, I think the four, where the four dimensions comes in, because if it were a pyramid, which I, I think it probably is more like this, and not probably there's, it's going to be somewhat of an apex, because the universe as a whole is somewhat like this. Jesus talks in, or the Word of God speaks in Job about the garment and how the earth is his footstool, right? And of course, where's the head? Well, the head's at the top. And so the universe is like a garment. If you know, like in a Middle Eastern garment, it's got to have a full, it's kind of like a poncho or whatever, rain gear that we put on. You put it on the head and it kind of fans out over your body and you stick your arms out. That's kind of what they would wear in the, in the Middle East. Even to this day in Asia, they still dress like that. So, and in the Middle East. So um, that being said, the capstone, you know, when they did this, the, the capstone was gold, just coated in gold, supposedly. And so Jesus is, that's fine, don't slide it, you're fine. So Jesus, so just, just I don't know, if you say, Brian, I don't agree with that, that's fine. We don't have to, 
that's not doctrine we're going to have to argue about. It could be square. It can be a, it can be a pyramid. But this is the deal. I think what we got here is the length, the width, then the breadth, and the height from corner to corner. We got four dimensions. And, uh, it's, and it all measures right out. Now, there's a reason I, I mention that, because it is a dimension that he's wanting us to know. And the dimensions uh, may very well be based on that pyramid shape from corner to corner across. You could measure the distance of the breadth, and the outside edges could measure the length and the depth, and the height would be obviously from the top to the bottom of a four-square structure. Um, but I also believe that God gives us insights into the building of the body. Now, this is kind of something, uh, I know we got people peeking in, so Mark, if you're listening out in the foyer, this is something I have never taught before, but I want to throw this out tonight as well in regard to this subject because I think God gives us some insights because this whole book is dealing with the building of the body. It's dealing with the building of the body. And while I do think what I just showed you is pertinent, I want to just share with you Ephesians 4, just the next chapter over. Look in verse 11, because Paul downloads some information about how the body is structured. Structure, the authority structure for the body of Christ. And he says, he says uh, in verse 11, he says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, and he connects the pastors and teachers together, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, which is the word building, of the body of Christ. Until, right, till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. All right. Well, that's a pretty awesome passage. So we have a structure with dimensions that match the stature and the fullness of Christ. This is commonly called the body of Christ in the New Testament. And I did, a couple of verses would be Romans 12.5, uh, you know, tells us that, um, well, there's the verse I just read. Romans 12.5 says, <coughs> We being many are one, bo- one body in Christ, and every one member, everyone uh, members one of another. So I don't do nothing that doesn't affect my, my sister or my brother. We're all connected in this body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12.20 tells us, but now, ye are, uh, ye, but now are they many members, yet one body, right? Everyone understands 1 Corinthians 12, the, the toe, the eye, the hand. So we all have different functions. Not everybody functions the same way in the body, but we're still part of one body, right? Your pinky is not the same as your thumb, but they're still part of your hand, and your hand's part of your arm, and your, all of it's part of your body, right? So we have difference. We have, we have uh, God has... Uh, uh, distinctions he has diversity in the body big time but you know what it all functions as one body we get that hebrews chapter 11 verse 10 so for he abraham is who he's talking about look for a city and he did that by faith which hath foundations whose builder and maker is god and that's new jerusalem he never found that city on this earth did he but abraham i mean he's a father of faith and so so what i'd submit to you is that there's also some what Paul's praying when he's been in his knees to the Lord, I mean, he, Paul knows. Right? He's got some revelation. Uh, he understands that God is building something among the Gentiles, among the church. It's not just Gentiles, the Jews that would get saved as well. But he's saying, look, God is doing something in this dispensation. He's doing something in this age of grace that is so remarkable that I want you to get your head and heart around the, 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 the breadth of it, the depth of it, the height of it, the length of it. You need to get your mind around the dimensions of this thing. And it just so happens that when he's talking about how the body gets built, he also mentions four groups of people. He mentions the apostles. 
He mentions the, the prophets. He mentions evangelists. And, the, and then he mentions last, but not least, pastors and teachers. And so I'd submit to you that, that uh, there's a dimension, there's a steward, because we're all part of the building process. All of us are part of the building process. But you know what? I am going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And Jesus is going to say, hey, Brian, why didn't you build the church? You knew the gates of hell weren't going to prevail against it. You know, what's, what's your problem, pal? You're responsible. And I bow my knees and say, God help. Apostles. Now, we don't have apostles today, other than the sense that we have missionaries, which are sent ones, but we're talking about the apostles, the 12 apostles, Matthias, and then the apostle Paul being the apostle of the Gentiles. The Great Commission and the establishing of the church, historically, was, was given to those men. You guys know the verses. We've already quoted them tonight. Matthew 28, uh, 19 through 20, Acts 1, 8. Right? So those guys, and they laid the foundation. Literally, it's what the Bible... And Jesus is the foundation. But Paul was setting that forth. And God was giving him the word of God. Then you have the prophets. Well, the prophets, well... Yeah, I mean, there were people that prophesied. But all prophecy comes from what's already known. And God is, is, is setting it forth. The times of the Gentiles. I mean, there's prophecy in the New Testament. Like Paul gives us in Romans chapters 9 through 11. About how God's going to fulfill... Uh, his plan for the nation of Israel. We have the book of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ given to John. Who stewards that revelation? Revelation tells us is the churches. Under the seven churches. Israel still doesn't understand the book of Revelation. Today, as God took them in 1948 and established them, May 14th, May 14th of 2018, they got their capital back exactly 70 years later to the day. And they don't understand that. They're like, duh. Who understands that? The church. The church. How do we know that? Because of the prophets. We understand that God is doing this big old thing, not just with the kingdom of God, but we also understand he's doing it with the kingdom of heaven. We get that because we understand that God has established, established his church. He's also got the prophets. He's going to fulfill his word. And then we got the evangelists, man, the depth. The evangelists have been out casting their nets, man, bringing in the, bringing in the sheaves, fishing for men. In the, you know what? In the book of Revelation, men are likened to the sea. When the Antichrist rises up out of the sea, it's not talking about a literal ocean. It's talking about a sea of people. The nation is likened to sea. Philip, man, he was going to the, he's going to talk to the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip is up in Caesarea. I mean, Philip is everywhere. He's an evangelist. He's going with the gospel. And then you have... The height, the pastors and teachers, the building of the body of Christ, not just on the foundation, but laying upon the foundation the principles of God's word. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Like we don't go back and fall over like Israel and break our necks, but we keep building. And that's why Colossians, I put Colossians 3 up there because we set our affection on things above, not on things of this earth. So we understand that New Jerusalem is a real place. It's got real Jerusalem, real dimensions. But we're all heading there, and the people who fill that up are the body of Christ. It's the unity of the body of Christ and the fullness of the body of Christ. And that's what Paul's saying. He's I'm bowing my knees before God Almighty, and I'm praying that you guys get a hold of what it is you're doing. You are filling up the kingdom of God. You are preparing New Jerusalem, and there is a height, a width, a depth, and a, and a length to this thing, man. And uh, it is the body of Christ. It's pretty awesome to think about. So no matter how you define it, by the way, some people may disagree with that. 
Um, no matter how you define it, his love, man, it's past finding out. Look at verse 19 of chapter 3. He says here that, And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. You know what? If we want to fill up God, heaven, you know what we've got to do? We need to be filled up with Christ. We say, well, you got all the spirit you needed when you got saved. That's what you just said. I agree. That, amen. When you got saved, you got all the spirit of God. The question isn't, does God have all of us? The question is, do we allow him? Do we yield our life to him? Do we let him do his work in and through us? Are we yielded to his will? Are we holding back? Are we not praying? Are we not interceding? Are we not giving our... Paul's like, I'm in prison. I don't care. I'm totally yielded, man. Whatever God wants. I'm praying for you. Don't worry about me. Because <laughs> my, my, my imprisonment's all for your joy. It's all for God's glory. I'm all good. I'm praying for you that you can really understand what you're getting involved in as a church, that God builds his body, that he grows it, and that it is everything that he wants it to be because he's worthy of all honor and glory and praise, that he might be filled with all the fullness of God which passeth knowledge. You know, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 says, Now is touching things offered unto idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. You know, over in Peter, it also has a list knowledge virtue add you add to those things being filled with the fullness of god in ephesians 1 we've already covered that many weeks ago in chapter 1 and verse 22 the bible says and he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him that filleth all in all there's coming a day when all things are going to be under his feet they already are. God's already set him at the right hand of the Father. But there's, that's what the whole, by the way, Daniel's 70th week, the whole issue of the end times is all about Jesus Christ taking back his property. You talk about David and Goliath. Antichrist is going to rise. They're already trying to do it. That's what this whole world government thing's about. Is that Literally, there are people on this earth who think that they can hijack the earth from God. It ain't going to happen at length, but they're going to try. God's going to placate them for a minute and let them try. And then he's going to have his purposes, and it's all going to be over. So, uh, but it's coming. It's happening. And they're going to make people cattle, by the way, in the process. And so, uh, so being filled with the fullness of God. God's the one that's going to win this, this thing. And uh, he says there that, that uh, in John chapter 1 and verse 16, and of the fullness and of his fullness, we all uh, have all we received grace for grace. The grace that we get the fullness that we have in Christ all comes from him. And, the, and it's the grace that we give. We're full because he's full. Others are full because we're full of Christ. That's really what it boils down to. Colossians 2.9 For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's not, as it says in Philippians 2, Jesus was ro not robbing God. Jesus is God. To be called equal with God. He wasn't robbing him of anything. God, Jesus Christ is God. And we're complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Colossians 2.10, we're complete in him. He's the head of all principality and power. So we, Romans 13, we submit to the powers that be because we're under the power, the power that is. And we do that out of respect for our Father in heaven. So that we can win them that don't understand the authority that they're under. Does that make sense? 
We got to we have to be wise in this thing. So I want to I want to share this story of redemption. This is a beautiful story of redemption. In verse nineteen, now look at this. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with the fullness of God. So if this isn't practical, it isn't preaching, which I'm teaching, but I'm preaching too a little bit. So here, here it is. The redemptive story of Christ and his church points to this reality. I mean, it's just like the story of Christ is so ridiculously good. You just can't get over it. It's not just a story. It's a history. It's his story. The redemptive story of Christ coming and dying on the cross so he can build this church with grace. All you got to do is call upon the name of the Lord and get saved. I mean, it's just too good to be true. It's like, but it's true. It's the fullness of God. It's the goodness of God. It leads us to repentance. It's amazing. All right. The redemptive story of Joseph in the Old Testament and his brothers. It points us back to his fullness and his goodness, doesn't it? I mean, you're like, what? I mean, his brothers couldn't, even after he forgave them, they didn't believe he forgave them. They're like, surely after dad dies, he's going to come and whack us, you know? And then he didn't. He's like, guys, it's all good, man. Because I'm a type, he didn't know it, but I'm a type of Christ. <laughs> so I'm not going to kill my brothers. You're all good. You're forgiven. What the devil, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Let's move on. And that's, that's the character of Christ. He's awesome. All right. Now, that story of redemption doesn't just, doesn't just find its way to Old Testament stories. You guys, anybody know this guy? I sent out an email a few weeks ago. I said, you guys, or I put it on Facebook. I said, there's a video. You got to watch this. It's a guy named Dutch. Comrade Dutch Kenkek Lu, I think is how you say it, or Lee, something like that. So this dude here, true story. He's head of the. He's one of the leaders of the of the Khmer Rouge. How many of you know what the Khmer Rouge is? Seriously, I'm not trying to. Okay, so Khmer Rouge, man. Okay, so in the 70s, 1970s, they had a little social social justice activity going on in Cambodia, and the and the Marxist Khmer Rouge took over Cambodia. Communists have been fighting over Southeast Asia for years. So Vietnam. Cambodia is right next to Vietnam and Laos, okay, Southeast Asia. So the Khmer Rouge comes in uh, like 1974, I think, through 79, something like that. I don't remember exact dates. But uh, Dutch here, this is was his name, Dutch. Dutch, this dude here, was part of the security service. He was over the security service. He was one of the leaders of the Khmer Rouge. How many of you, have you ever heard of Pol Pot? Anybody heard of Pol Pot? Okay, so a couple of you. When uh, Pol Pot was the leader of the Khmer Rouge, and they killed, oh, I don't, I think it was two million people, roughly. If it was my, how much? Four million. They they murdered four million people. There's movies made, Killing Fields, stuff like that. They uh, they they would take kids, they would divide families, they would, you know, just the same old Marxist stuff. Same day, different story. All right. So um, so he's in charge. He's responsible for the killing fields. They got a tree at the killing fields. You take kids out and you beat them against the tree till their heads pop off and you kill them. No joke, not making it up. That's how wicked and cruel they are. There's a there's a there's a S21 prison in, in Cambodia and you can go there today and that man is that man up there is responsible for the deaths conservatively of of probably 17,000 people personally. I mean just in that one location. 
Not to mention there's 2 million people slaughtered. But the good news is, see this guy here? He's born again. Born again. So, he's in a... Uh, obviously, uh, things changed in Cambodia. Khmer Rouge had to... It was just so wicked. They finally had to overthrow him in, with a more kinder, kinder gentler communism um, when China changed their policy. Um, which, by the way, that's my tongue-in-cheek. Communism is never good, by the way, because uh, men cannot, it just doesn't work in human. So anyway, moving on. So, uh, so Dutch here uh, shows up at a Bible study because a Christian, this is so cool, God's redemptive story, God being all in all. A young man, just a common run-of-the-mill Christian in Cass County, Cambodia, whatever, you know, there's, a church, there's some church planning activity going on from a refugee. A refugee whose mom and dad, they got separated. His parents sent him off. He, he uh, worked in the fields. He escaped to, uh, to uh, Thailand and then became a refugee to the United States, becomes a pastor, minister out of California, goes back to Cambodia and starts planting churches. He's got some church plants going. And one of the, one of the folks from Cass County, Cambodia, just a run-of-the-mill Christian, brings his neighbor in one day. His neighbor was under threat and getting beat up. He kind of protected him, brought him into the church. And, and that guy there was the guy he brought into the church. And there's video footage because nobody knows who he is. He's just some dude they brought in. And he's sitting in the back of the Bible study, just sitting there, just glum as could be. But you know what? Over day after day, week after week, month after month, you know what? The Word of God, the preacher, the preacher was in prison camp himself because of the very man he's preaching to. He doesn't even know it. Sitting in his own church. He spent years, he lost his years of his life, lost his parents, lost many of his family members. The person responsible directly sitting in his church. And over time, you know what? He gets saved. His countenance changed. He moves from the back of the room to the front of the room and he becomes a disciple. But because of another revolution, he goes off, the disciple goes off to, to Thailand himself. And then someone calls up the preacher one day and says, hey, do you know such and such? He said, yeah, I know such and such. He says, it's his, not who you think he is. He's Dutch. He's, he's the guy. He's like, what? He's like, yeah, that's, he's the AP, Associated Press, calls him up, calls the pastor. And he's like, whoa. So he goes and he verifies it. And sure enough, Dutch comes clean. He's like, hey, uh, this is who I am. So he goes to, to the court, and they sentence him to prison. And, and he, he confessed. He's the only Khmer Rouge leader ever to admit to the atrocities and to stand trial. The rest of them just faded away. I think Pol Pot got killed. He's the only one that's ever confessed to it and went to prison and had any judgment. He died. This guy here died and went to heaven September 2nd of 2002. And so... That's just a few days ago. And so now he's gotten in on all this grace. I mean, we're talking about a stone-cold murderer, like worse than the Apostle Paul. His religion was communism and Marxism. He was just executing the, the, you know, the, the line of Marxism, which the strong survive, natural selection, all of that junk, which is no grace, no love, no truth. And he was just going along. And God saved his soul. He got saved. Isn't that amazing? You say, what about justice? 
uh, that justice for him and his murders was put on Jesus Christ on the cross. And he believes it. And I think I'm going to see Dutch in heaven. I mean, that's, I talk about redemption, man. I, I just, guys, when you talk about the fullness, it's magnificent. It's, it's enormous. It's, it's, it's as big as the as New Jerusalem, as big as the universe, it's, it's, and it's as big in someone's life as they will let the gospel of Christ be. It's amazing, the grace of God. So, I got to wrap up. That's amazing to me, though, guys. I'm just, the love of Christ. Paul's like, I want you guys to know. I want you to understand the fullness of Christ. I want you to get a hold of his love. I want you to get a hold of this Jesus Christ. And you, once you do, he's going to build his church, and the gates of hell are not going to stand against it. Not even, I mean, that's as wicked as it comes. That's like Joseph Stalin getting saved. That's like Adolf Hitler getting saved. That's like Joseph Mengele getting saved. I mean, that's good night. And if you don't know those names, by the way, you should probably learn all of those because that's, that's what's coming down the pipe, all those guys just like that on steroids. All right, so moving on. So the last thing, and I'll be done, intention of our intercession. So let's, let's talk about this real quick, and I'll be done. So we've seen, we've seen uh, some instruction. Now we're looking at the intention. He says it here. Let's wrap this up. He says, now, I've done all this talking about praying. Now, where's it all headed? Unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Man, it isn't about us. It's about him. Praise God. Give him the glory. So let me run through this. Extol his virtue. Virtue's power. When, when, that, when that lady with an issue of blood touched Jesus' garment, what happened? That's right. He's like, somebody touched me. And she immediately knew her, her, her uh, issue of blood, her hemorrhaging had stopped. Power came out of Christ. Virtue is power. Now unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, even beyond your prayer life, man, he's answering prayers beyond your prayers. You haven't even thought about it, and he's answering things. He's doing stuff for you you don't even know. That's happened to me. I mean, I'm like going through the, Lord, I want to reach the world for Christ. You know, and I'm just doing my thing, and one day I bump into the right guy. The next thing you know, next thing you know, we're planting a church in KCK. Not because we're that smart, because God's, he's doing things exceedingly abundantly above what you ask or think. I mean, he's literally just like, here you go, do it. And then acknowledge our limitation, right? It's like not according to our power, right? Not according to the power that, that, that worketh. Uh, he, goes, he goes, now unto him that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. It's not, about, it's not about us. It's about the power that worketh in us. I mean, we're weak, but he is strong. We're weak, but he is strong. And then, and then he goes on to say, we, we need to realize the power that does work in us, right? I mean, it's the power of Christ that's working in us. Realize that that's really what's going on. Jesus is wanting to work in your life. Paul's wanting the church to know that, man, God is able to do in Ephesus more than you could even ask or think. So start asking and thinking because he wants to do more than you're even bringing in your prayer life. You hear me out there? Gwen Arnie's asking for, for making sure that his biopsy comes back clean, and we're going to pray for that. But you know what? I bet God's doing more than that. He's probably going to witness to somebody. He's going to share the gospel. Something's going to change in eternity. Give God the glory due his name, though. Don't rob God of his glory. Give God the glory due his name. He says, unto him be glory in the church 
by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. You get to 1 Corinthians 15, what's Paul talking about? He says, hey, you know what? We're going to be light beings. There are terrestrial beings. There are celestial. There are some of those celestials that are brighter than others. Be as bright as you can. Right? Obey the Lord. Do what God says. Be as bright as you can because it's going to magnify him for all of eternity. Give God the glory. Do his name because he's due all honor, glory, and praise. Excuse me. <coughs> he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places according to Ephesians 1.3. Now we give him all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. So the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, I'll do all to the glory of God. Doesn't matter what we're doing. Let's do it all to the glory of God. So, our identity is found in Christ and His church, but our intercession, man, our intercession, whoo, and it gets wild as uh, we pray for the life of Christ, not only in us, but through us and in the lives of others. So here's a recap of what we've covered. We have access to intercession. That's chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. We have insights to intercession uh, because of what we saw in verses 14 through 19. And then... We need to focus on intercession. We need to really make intercession a part of what we uh, not only know, but what we do. So that's the conclusion of the matter tonight. Next time we get together, we'll pick up chapter 4 as, uh, as we get in and we continue talking about the unity of the church. All right, any questions? You guys from uh, student ministry have done a great job. Sorry, we'll be on next time. Next week, actually, is Bible conference, so we'll all be putting the Bibles together. Then the week after, we'll be... Uh, We'll be back on regular schedule, regular schedule. All right. Is that good? You guys uh, get anything? I hope you got something from that. No questions? What is the fullness of the Gentiles? Uh, that's a great question. So there's, that's a really good question because you have the times of the Gentiles and the fullness of the Gentiles. Sometimes they get confused. The fullness of the Gentiles is, uh, is when God is done uh, bringing in the Gentile bride. Because the church is likened to a Gentile bride. So the catching away of the church will indicate the fullness of the Gentiles being come in. The, ca- the rapture. The catching away is the Bible term. And so that's when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. The, the times of the Gentiles actually stretches back before Christ to when Israel um, you know, went into captivity. So from Babylon through the, the images of Daniel's prophecies uh, up to the iron mixed with clay and the and the that's coming upon us now is the times of the Gentiles. And the time of transition is Daniel's 70th week. So the Gentiles will be judged and Israel will be put back on the throne in charge at the second, restored at the second coming of Christ, at the second advent, at the end of, in Revelation 19, when he returns to this earth and takes over the earth, literally. And that's why they will literally inherit the earth. And then the Gentile kingdoms will go back under Israel. So the whole world will be run and rule and reign from Jerusalem. So that's the times of the Gentiles versus the fullness of the Gentiles. And if you get those confused, it kind of messes you up, so it's hard to discern what's going on in time. That's a really good question. So, yeah. Any other questions? That gets back to what Paul's talking about, this dispensation in the book of Ephesians, because he's talking about this is something new. It's a God is dispensing his grace. It's a age, that's why this is the age of grace. So we're at the tail end of it. It's still, it's still uh, Israel is blinded in part. They don't even understand it. That's what Romans. That's why I say Romans nine through eleven. <clears throat> one of the things that the devil's done is hijacked Romans nine through eleven t- today. I mean, right now he's hijacked it in, from the church through uh, reform theology, 
And so most people don't even, they're so caught up in the, in the philosophy of election, which is really just a Greek philosophy introduced into the church. They're so caught up in that that they miss the, the, the clear biblical teaching prophetically that, that God has given the Apostle Paul for the church. So, and a lot of us, even us guys that are, you know, rightly dividing the Word of God, dispensationalists get caught up in that battle of philosophy and we miss that just, just stay on. I had a guy leave this church over that because I didn't preach it the way he liked it. I'm like, oh, sorry, pal. That's what he's teaching. So, um, but, I mean, he was still my friend, but we're not going to agree on that at all. Because if you miss Romans 9 through 11, you don't know what the fullness of the Gentiles is. You don't know what the times of the Gentiles are about. You miss all kinds of prophecies, and it'll, it'll mess you up. So that's, that's a really good question. I appreciate you bringing that up. All right. <clears throat> Okay, guys, well, let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. Thank you for coming tonight and uh, talk about interceding. So um, thanks for coming. It's good to have you. Jamie, can you get a guest bag for our guests here?